the rural as political. That's the perspective of Professor Danny Anastelic, who I had the pleasure of speaking with in this instalment. Professor Danny Anastelic is one of Australia's leading social scientists working around intersections of sustainability, human service practice and social cohesion, focusing on families and communities and their sense of place. She's worked for three decades in the involvement in community development activities and has had a wide-ranging academic career, uh, most recently as a professor at Griffith University. Professor Stelic has worked over three states and was also the chair of the Rural Industries Research and Development Corporation. So it brings a wealth of experience to studying rural communities. In our discussion, Professor Danny Adastelic describes the rural as political. And that's the organising idea around which our discussion follows. I started our conversation with what has become the usual question of what does the rural mean to you? It's a very good starting point. Um, and what, what it really means for me, essentially what rural says for me is that it's political. Um, political. Okay. So political. What do you so mean by that? Well... It's always being defined and redefined by whatever the politics of the environment in which it's being discussed are. So let's think about it historically. Rural for Australia always used to mean anything outside of the major cities, mm -hmm. largely Melbourne and Sydney. So when people said rural in the early 20th century, everybody understood that that wasn't the metropolitan centres. When people say rural now, it has a whole lot of different political meanings, depending on who's saying it, what the context in which they're saying it, and to whom they're saying it. And so um, over the past sort of 25 years or so, a generation really, the concept of rural is, has become increasingly defined as a political concept. It's used as a political um, concept by not just politicians, but also those people who lobby politicians, um, people who um, need something, um, and people who are themselves usually not living outside of the metropolitan so if i can be as blunt as that so rural is something that we use when we're trying to describe places that are not cities but very often those of us who use it are actually living in cities how's that one phil i, I like that so it's a point of difference used for uh, some form of lobbying to gain some input from government or some response yeah. from government it's, that's nice and different from the sort of social, cultural, demographic definitions that come up in, you know, a lot of the lot of the literature, and we we see that I guess in the the language nowadays in our own government here around regional. Everything seems to be regional rather than rural or remote. Yes, that's the sort of thing you're referring to. That's exactly what I'm referring to, and what what you've pointed out to me really is that if we look at the past twenty five years or so and I have done quite extensively, the growth of the concept of regional actually diminished the idea of rural. It, initially, it, people were very clear what they meant. So by regional, about 30 years ago, people started to recognise that there was metropolitan centres that were not Sydney and Melbourne, 
and we needed to somehow define them. So regional became the large metropolitan centres that weren't capital cities. But over the 30 years, regional has become, if you like, the dominant discourse. And it's very hard for the concept of rural to actually get a voice in the noise that is regional. How's that? Um, so, so that, fits? that fits because we see yeah. that in, in the politics playing out in Australia yeah. and the, uh, yeah. yes, the response to some of the elections uh, around major parties and so forth. But I guess we see that issue of, of size because we don't want to, they don't want to marginalise your larger towns, but at the same time, they're trying to use cash call that doesn't actually catch call, get everyone involved. So, Yes, and um, one of the things that started to happen uh, with uh, the, into, the, into this century, really, so the past 20 years or so, is that a lot of the kind of um, small settlements that we used to call rural have become absorbed into a kind of regional concept. And so we don't talk so much about the small communities in places like, for example, the Hunter. We talk about the Hunter. Um, we talk about central Queensland. We talk about... Uh, the Pilbara, you know, so we, we've, as a nation, we've conceptualised these spaces as large conglomerates rather than identifying any of the smaller settlements within them. And at the same time, a lot of those settlements have actually diminished in their demographic um, makeup. Some of them haven't, but a lot of them have. And so they've become less uh, powerful in their own concepts. So, for example, if you're living in one of those small places, you tend not to say, I'm from the hunter. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. You, you would tend to say, I'm from XYZ place or I live in such and such a valley or, but you don't tend to identify as I am a central Queenslander or I am a Murray-Darling Basin person. No, and you see that when you're out in communities doing work, talking to people, they identify very much in that local sense. But when they're, when they're organising, as you said, politically, now that I can, you've mentioned that I can see that connection, they organise at a larger level, but when they refer to the everyday or their own lives or particular issues, they're very localised. Yep, yep. Interesting. Yep. Yep. So that's a very um, a useful way of reframing that issue. Yeah. I guess it goes okay. back, I, I can see Judith Brett's stuff there when she talks about um, the country and the city and that change in the settlement that occurred under the sort of, I guess, neoliberal economic movements, where it was no longer the, uh, the benevolence of the city for the country, it was you standing on your own. So then the political power has shifted from small towns to larger groupings in order to gain some uh, recognition. But in, in the process, we've lost, as you said, the rural and that individual attention. Yes, and the other thing that we've lost is the word country, because we tend yeah. not to talk about country. In fact... Um, only the other day I was um, talking to somebody about the Country Women's Association. If they were to be established today, for example, they wouldn't call themselves country women, um, but they were established in the, you know, pre-war, I think, in the early 30s or something. Everyone knew what the country was, the countryside. People came from the country to the city. You had... Um, this is a now an old trope, but people used to say that you always knew somebody who lived not in the city if you were a city dweller. And increasingly, we don't talk about the country, we don't talk about the countryside, 
um, yes, it's, it's, it's another one of those words that has become lost and I think um, forgotten and it needs a bit of advocacy, just like rural does. So if it is essentially political, we need advocates to argue for its other, you know, the non the sort of not using it politically, whatever that mm. concept well, is. Well, I guess that, that regional notion aligns close to economics, I guess, on a, on, a, on a regional scale, on a larger scale, whereas we're talking here about identity and, and culture and, and places. So the, the language sort of belies a value there, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, what's very interesting is when you start looking at organisations that use the term rural in their, um, you know, their front of house, for example, many of your students would probably know the National Rural Health Alliance. Mm. Well, when you have a look at that organisation, which was established exactly 30-something um, years ago, it tends not to define what rural means. Neither do all its constituent parts. So you have the rural doctors and the isolated parents association, but nobody actually defines rural in that. It's almost like, well, we just know and you just have to take our word for it that we know. And I, and I guess I'm thinking there, it tends to get deployed differently as an implication of that and differently in terms of getting some advocacy to address a perceived disadvantage. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Meaning, it's so, meaning shifts to the need or for whatever is being advocated for. That's right. It's, it's completely a moving feast. And so mm. what we have to do as people who advocate for it is we have to be extremely clear what we mean when we use the term. You know? And so that is one of the things that I strongly recommend people to do when they're talking about this particular concept is to say this is what I mean by it and this is why I believe this and this is how I'm going to frame my argument so that those people reading it are not using their own frame of reference to try and decide what's going on here. That's, um, that's so refreshing to hear you say that because uh, that's actually where uh, the unit that I teach on the topic that these podcasts are part of. We start with defining the rural and the various constructions of it, but also in terms of some research work I'm doing with uh, a colleague, Natalie, who I'll talk to at a later uh, podcast, around in Australian rural, rural research, the lack of definition and as a result, a lack of consistency as to what the issues are in the way that researchers engage with the topic. It's just a word that's used in a meaningless sense. Yeah, yeah. And very often in a pejorative sense. Yeah. So uh, those of us advocating for it need to be aware that it, it is often used in a negative context. And that's why a lot of people avoid using it because it also has all this other baggage associated with it. Yeah, um, that's certainly something we're seeing in, in this evolving piece of work is that very issue. You might see a paper where it's in the title or the abstract and nowhere else in the paper. So it's some mm -hmm. sort of warrant to do the research but it has no meaning to the research other than to provide justification to address yeah. a perceived disadvantage that's not actually stated it's quite yeah. um, an interesting uh, construction yes that's right and um yes you're right um how often people uh will call on it is what you're saying call on it as some kind of you know thing 
but actually uh, trying to come to grips with it. It is, mm. it is something which I think, uh, as a word, probably um, you know, brings up all sorts of um, ideas in our imagination. One of the really powerful ones that we've never been able to let go is this idea of the utopia, the rural mm. as some sort of idyll, some kind of place to run to, um, to refresh, you know, to become more yourself because the city is this other dirty, you know, industrial place. Um, is that something that the students are contemplating too, the concept of rural as utopia? Well, that's certainly uh, within some of the readings and texts that we'll be looking at but, and yeah. in terms of the, the research going forward, absolutely, because it's that, that yeah. notion of uh, the, we've talked about rural as um, rural and imagined and then how it's represented in popular culture and that, that idle sense, the, uh, the, the, the root of um, values or a community, which, you know, exists beyond, beyond Australia. We have it in China with Pei Xiaotong's work and others around the root of the, the values of the society of you know, hard work, honesty, having a go are all rooted in the rural. But then you see it in those programs where we send the, the uh, kids who struggle with school out to the country and they'll find themselves. Yes, that's right. It just doesn't seem to align very well with the other discourse of the rural, but this is the way we way we construct it. Yes, that's right. And we also, of course, in the 19th century, sent people who were different to places that were rural. So people with disabilities were put into large institutions in rural settings and set to work on sort of hobby farm type um, ideal uh, because that was closer to nature and and less of a, a challenge than being in the city uh, the city was also was seen then as being a place that uh, was dangerous it's interesting because they don't want to get into necessarily sort of categorical uh, constructions of difference but uh, here we're talking about the city as being a place that has um, you know, pollution danger disadvantage, etc. Whereas in a lot of the, the discourse of comparative rural city, the city is this ideal other where that's where all the opportunities, all the futures are, all the all the growth is. So mm. there's there's a two-edged sword. And I certainly see that when I talk in communities. Some work I was doing a couple of years ago with some country folk, a common theme was, well, when we go to the city, we don't go out at night because we're too scared to walk home at night and it's dangerous and there's too many people, which is the exact mm. reverse or city people going to the same country town, they see it as fearful and so forth. It's quite a, yeah. an interesting comparative construction. Yes, that's right. And um, in the concept of the rural education um, environment, uh, the city is always seen as a place where you have more opportunities, um, more career opportunities. But interestingly, also, you can disappear into the city in a way that you can't disappear in the rural in the rural, you're very, very front and centre, aren't you, as the local mm. teacher or the local principal? Or yeah, yeah. You're, you're, if you're effective, you're integrated into that community. You always see the ones that are that, uh, are very much part of the everyday fabric. You know, it takes an hour to walk and get a loaf of bread, but then you see others who, while they're integrated, separate and don't really engage because they're only coming and going in a temporal sense. So yeah, yeah. It's quite a yeah. quite a stark difference pattern of behaviour that you observe. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Daniela, I've kind of put you on the spot here, I guess. Um, we've been talking here around the social constructions. So this is going towards notions of rural sociology in a, in a broad sense and about that particular space. What, what would you, how would you describe rural sociology if you were to try to do it in a, um, in a few words? Ah, oh, well, gee. Uh, well, one of the things that sociologists putting you on the spot. <laughs> yes, one of the things sociologists can't do is put anything into just a few words, Phil. I mean, that's <laughs> just one of those things. Now, rural sociology is an interesting um, uh, subsection, if you like, of sociology more generally. And uh, it also has a very interesting history, which is alongside the history of rural, we, if we think about uh, the concepts being changing over the past 100 years or so. So where rural sociology, I think, always begins is uh, in the great shift that occurred in Europe when it changed from a rural, uh, uh, rural places to industrial. In England, yes, but largely on the continent and largely in Germany, and the work of Fred, uh, Ferdinand Tonnies uh, in those early years, in the early mm. years of the 20th century, trying to understand how human beings lived in places that were not where they were born. So most of the movement came from the countryside into the cities and people had okay. to learn to live in a metropolitan setting. And similarly in Australia where we had the growth of cities after World War II, yeah. A lot of that growth was immigrant growth, but a lot of it was also people leaving the countryside. So rural sociology, if you like, has got a history of tracking that and tracking the way in which that has changed over the, over the decades. And it also struggles at times to have a voice inside sociology when so much of the world's population lives in cities. It's hard sometimes for rural sociology to get a a Guernsey, but it's managed to hold its own and these days spends a lot of time thinking about the way in which human beings live in the environments in which they're centred and so rural sociology, environmental sociology have a, a good uh, link and a good understanding with each yeah. other. And some of that environmental sociology is a, a, recent, a, a relatively recent um growth, isn't it, from sociology. Is that right? Or? Yes, that's right. And that also has, um, similarly, in the way that human beings have started to appreciate the environment around them, the natural environment around them. Mm. So you can see that sociology takes that question up and starts to ask, um, what does it mean to live in a place that's been ravaged by bushfires, um, for example? And, very, um, very, very topical one, there. Yeah. Very topical. And how are people going to re- claim some of that uh, landscape when it looks so different and it's going to be generations before it looks the way that it that they remember it and so you know the relationship between people loss grief growth yeah. yes and the rural the rural aesthetic as part of that the cultural value yes that's right and a lot of those places um, as we know are highly valued settings which we would probably not so much call rural anymore but rather uh, coastal perhaps um, tree change environments but nevertheless they're struggling 
Well, that's interesting. It, it, it raises two issues for me there, I think. One is in relation to the recent bushfires uh, around the region where we are here, a lot of people caught up in, in the events were from the city on their annual holiday where they go to the rural to recharge, back to what we were talking about earlier. So yeah. suddenly they've been impacted with that sort of um, issues that affect rural communities. So maybe that will have some city-country relationship uh, change, perhaps. But yes. the other part being a lot of our rural, when we talk rural, we often don't talk rural coastal, which is another an odd um, oversight. Yes, and I think that links, that second part links very much to this idea that rural is something that's outside of our imagining, um, whereas coastal is something, because 80% of us live 50 kilometres from the coast, um, we can imagine the coast. Mm. Not, we don't have a kind of imagining of the rural. It, perhaps it's a little bit skewed. But uh, the first point that you make is an interesting one, and I think this is where sociologists of the future will be asking these questions, is does this dreadful summer that we've had, is, is it going to shift the way in which the city and the metropole thinks about the environment outside of the city? Um, here in Canberra, where, where we both are at the moment, there's a big push to encourage people to go back to the coast where... Mm you say they recharge every year whether they do or not will be very interesting and when and maybe they'll go once but maybe it'll be such a shock to them to see it yeah. i don't know what yeah, do you well, think? Well, i i really am ambivalent about it because i think as you say there that they will the aesthetic will have changed but it's also yeah. become a, a pace of fear because of the terror that they experienced in having to yes. escape those places so it's, yes. it's lost some value which could either work in a sense of um, uh, benevolence, we'll go back to support the communities that we have in the past, and you hope that's sort of part of the informing approach, or it could be reinforcing the whole, yes, the country is a scary place that we can't control and we need to keep away from it because it could harm us. Yes. So it yes. could actually have the opposite impact. I guess time will tell. Yes, time will tell. And I think we can guarantee that it will become a political football in whichever way it it goes, and we've already yeah, seen some evidence seen that. of that. And the way in which it's reshaped and invested in will also become highly political. Yes, yeah. it will. Uh, yeah, become an, an issue to watch. Yes, it will. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, Daniela, I'll I might just uh, leave it there. I've taken enough of your time, and we've canvassed a number oh, of the, the key yeah. issues. Yes, it's been great. So, thank you very much for uh, talking to us. This afternoon, it's uh, it's been greatly appreciated. Thank you, and all the best to you and and all the students listening. Thank you. That was my conversation with Professor Daniela Selick. I really think that notion of the rural as political is a powerful one, and it brings a whole another dimension to the economic, demographic, um, social, cultural that we were talking about in previous discussions, in some of the earlier talks with. Uh, Professor Pickley, and in a couple of future talks that will be coming up shortly around how we understand the rural issue of power, place, and uh, the, the debates and discussions and negotiations that occur is really important and really crucial, both to the future of rural places, but also on how we understand the way that this term is uh, used by people. <laughs>